Listening Dog Media. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply the Offside Rule, we get it, with Lindsay Hooper and Kate Borsay. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Offside Rule podcast. And I can reveal for this one, it's a Hayley McQueen free zone. Although we have got an ample replacement. Um, it's myself, Lindsay Hooper, joined by Kate Borsay. Yes, Hayley's been sent to the stands with Alan Pardew. <laughs> yes, seven game ban. Okay, okay. Um, so a fitting person to fill in her shoes, um, high heels even, is Carrie Brown. Carrie, thank you very much for coming. Thank you, privileged to be here. Thanks um, We would love to know, first of all, who you support. Um, the popular and ever-loved Leeds United. Oh, at least for first time we've had a Leeds fan, isn't it, on the podcast? Yes, original, can I just say. Yeah, very good, I like it. We often talk about Leeds, actually. Not always in complimentary <laughs> terms if we're to go back uh, a fair few seasons. And also recently, they haven't, they haven't had the best time, have they? Actually don't have an owner at the moment, but let's, <laughs> let's look on the bright side. Always a, a good, uh, good turnout from the fans, thank you. Uh, where does that allegiance come from? Is that where you were brought up or is this a family inherited club? Yeah, from the age of quite young, in my early teens. So um, that's why. And, and lots of hard luck stories with um, Leeds United. We've been there, we've been so close, we've been back down. It makes you a very stoic supporter very quickly. Well, those of you um, who might know about Carrie's career, she's at being sport at the moment. So you, you do a lot of reporting. Funnily enough, I've not actually ever bumped into you on the circuit. I am at more championship games, in fairness, than Premier League. But it's funny, isn't it, when you, you hear about someone, but we've never actually met. I know that you, yourself and Kate have met before, but um, we've never actually bumped e- into each other at a press box. No, it's, I'm, I've been so lucky in my career. Started off at Eurosport, where I was Champions League correspondent, um, having spent a long time as a sports producer and sports editor, and then joined uh, Al Jazeera Sport, which became Being Sport, and did Champions League and uh, a lot of La Liga. And then now we've just signed the Premier League. And, you know, obviously it was disappointing that we signed this Premier League season because nothing's happened, is it? One man away leader, nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and the game that you were at, just at six goals, I think. Is it just half a dozen you were at the weekend? Yeah, no, just not not too many. Um, how are Arsenal feeling today? Yeah, I'll move on quickly. Um, so thank you very 
very much, Carrie Brown, for joining us today. Let's get on to topics then and what we're going to be discussing. It's a slightly a, a strikers special this week's podcast. Uh, I'll come on to that in just a second. Our third topic, though, is slightly different. Uh, we're looking for how very dare you. Um, a great story that Kate will say winged my way about Shane Lung's wife. Uh, well, basically, uh, she leapt to his defence um, after West Brom fans abused him for what they deemed to be a soft penalty in the game against uh, Hull, his new club, of course. He got a bit of stick from the fans, from his ex-fans, I suppose, and uh, she leapt to his defence. I'm not having that, she said. I don't know if she's in Liverpool, but uh, it sounds good. <laughs> Every wag that you do yeah, is yeah. from Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you both to leap to the defence of someone or find stories where people have leapt to footballers' defences, maybe clubs, owners, it can be anything at all. Um, topic two, then, we'll go on to the strikers theme. I've seen that before. We saw Wayne Rooney score from 55 yards against West Ham at the weekend. What a goal that was. I thought I'd seen one of the goals of potentially the month slash season with Alex Tetty at Norwich on Saturday, but um, Rooney's surpassed that even. Um, and it was interesting because the cameras immediately found David Beckham in the crowd watching on. His goal, very similar, slightly less distance than 55 yards against Wimbledon, if we're being pedantic about it. Um, but David Beckham, there's a lightness towards those two goals and it's made me think of other examples where we can compare two strikes. And we're going to start with a striking theme as well. Goal heaven, I've called this topic. So on Saturday, Luis Suarez, uh, his hat-trick against Cardiff saw him surpass Robin Van Persie's Premier League tally from last season. But it's not just him. It's not just Suarez at the moment that's finding the back of the net. His teammate Daniel Sturridge, he's amassed 19 goals now. And another weekend hat-trick hero was Yaya Toure, who's now on 16 goals. So the Premier League has been flush with them. So with goals aplenty, I want you to think about your favourite strikers of all time, your lifetimes, not of all time, of your lifetimes, um, home and abroad, um, one of each. And I want you to tell me why you love them so much, starting with Kate Borsay. As a Liverpool fan, I'm just going to get this one out of the way, but I can't, I can't talk about the best strikers in my lifetime without mentioning Ian Rush. One of the reasons why I got into Liverpool in the first place during the 80s and 90s, he was perhaps one of the most prolific goal scorers of that period. Forget about uh, within Liverpool. Didn't enjoy, of course, much international success playing for Wales. And that's not a dig at Wales, but I would have loved to have seen him play for England and I would have loved to, to have seen him on that big international stage, but won numerous honours uh, with Liverpool. He was their top scorer nine times, won the European Golden Boot in 84, claimed five league titles when he was at Liverpool, two European Cups. He played the most games for Liverpool, so 660 games, scored the most goals, 346. So I know Suarez is doing fantastically well. He's got a few more to get before he catches Rushy. And he would score all sorts of goals as well. Liverpool's most prolific striker, Ian Rush. We'll move on to Carrie's home striker. So who have you chosen? Quite relevant after his recent return to Stamford Bridge, um, Didier Drogba. Mm. I just think he's been a narrative throughout the most important or significant part of my career. And I, I've got really a different interpretation and view of him when I went out to the 2006 African Nations Cup, which is somewhere where you used to at least be able to have a bit more access to them. And at the time they had a very relaxed coach and he was doing incredibly well under Jose Mourinho at that time. And he spoke about the fact that he'd been working with a psychologist that really gave him that extra edge, that extra sharpness. It became a time that he stopped diving so much and was really just... His decision-making on the ball is astounding. He can leave anyone in his wake. And he mm -hmm. talked about the fact he worked with his psychologist. And I spoke to the psychologist there who sort of liked to be anonymous. And I wish I had 
really made him give me his details, but he wouldn't. But he, just all about learning about instincts on the ball. And it was such an interesting insight to a man that looks so ferocious and terrifying mm. and mean on the pitch, but just really is actually quite a beautiful soul. Um, then went on to impress me in, in a penalty shootout between Eto and himself, um, the Ivory Coast against um, Cameroon. And it went all the way. Every player took a penalty, all scored, kept mm. going, kept going. It was it was 11 11. Mm. Eto stood up again, exhausted after playing you know, extra time, skewed it. Didier Drogba stepped up, scored it. Remarkable. Exhausted at the end of the night, all back to the hotel. Um, he came and talked to everyone. And this is what, how humble a man is. He suddenly looked around and realised everyone was speaking in French and I was struggling to keep up. And he said, Guys, we all speak English. He just noticed this one person in the corner, quite happily trying mm. to listen. And. Um, and, and just is a remarkable, a, a great guy on top of being an incredible player. But not only that, is a huge humanitarian. He stopped a civil war in the Ivory Coast. While the, while the team were trying to qualify for the World Cup, he sat down and gave an appeal to the country to stop fighting. And has become a huge humanitarian. Um, and then I think what makes a great striker is the man that becomes the villain and becomes the hero again, the 2008 Champions League final, sent off with that red card and then having to step up for that penalty against Bayern Munich in the Champions League final and doing it. Well, that's one thing I wanted to say about Didier Drogba, where he probably puts him in a smaller field of strikers, the top strikers, is that in the big games, he's always produced quick nugget from me one thing I like about watching him play is that as you say he is the aggressor he's so physical and so strong and he really sort of fits that archetypal strong centre forward that we've been used to throughout the ages um, but what I what I imagine about him he's this fierce strong warrior on the outside but so relaxed on the inside that he knows exactly what his game is he knows exactly where his ball is and where he wants it to go Yes, he is a daddy call, which leads me on nicely to mine because I've got another daddy call. Um, Thierry Henry is who I've chosen as my home striker. The reason overall I've gone for Thierry Henry is to do with a number of factors. I think it's the fact that he's performed on pretty much every stage. So World Cups, European Championships, um, Arsenal's leading goal scorer of all time with 228 goals. So he's still got that record at Arsenal now. And when you look back over the years at the strike forces and the people that Arsenal have had amongst their ranks, that's a pretty good statistic to have Um, as well as that going on to play under Pep Guardiola uh, winning the Champions League uh, playing alongside um, players like Messi and Eto but he always knew where the back of the net was and when you watch some of the goals of his from history from time gone by all 228 for Arsenal if you want to pretty much most of them are special he could do everything he could head um, he can handball as we know as well Um, I won't bring that up too much shall I Um, (laughs) um, especially not if you're Irish. Um, but the, the other thing that I really like about him that I think makes him one of my favourites of all time is his love for Arsenal still now. The fact that when he came back and that he shed a tear when the statue was revealed, all these little things that make you think footballers, they get a lot of stick sometimes for being journeymen and moving clubs. But actually, if you cut Thierry Henry down the middle, he'd be made of Arsenal colours, wouldn't he? And I think that is true to his core. And I love that about him. Uh, we'll go on to our away players. Um, who have you got, Kate? Uh, well, I had a big debate between Roberto Baggio, Batistuta. I mean, it's, it's amazing when you 
when you start to look into this properly and you start to recollect all the brilliant things that you've seen and the significance of players within significant games as well, you know, when you start to look at, look at, look at the important ones. Um, but I did settle on the original Ronaldo because we can't have a conversation about the best strikers really without talking about him. And I know that there's another Ronaldo on the scenes these days, but Leicester's not forget. The original Ronaldo called the phenomenon at the time because what he produced and we forget this I think sometimes he was so blighted by injury I think he had sort of cumulatively about four years out through injury he had that terrible knee and uh, really um, that caused a premature end to his career very impactful um, at the World Cup as well three-time World Player of the Year um, he holds the most goals scored in a World Cup tournament 15 of them so unless anything happens this summer in Brazil and anyone overtakes him he still holds that record when he was fit I think it was his pace it was his power dribbling ability um I guess if you look at Drogba there are certain things that that you can correlate between both Drogba and the original Ronaldo is what I'm going to call him in case anyone tunes in kind of 15 minutes into this podcast and thinks that I'm talking about the other one um finishing was sensational just world class really with what he produced Massimo Moratti who um was at uh, Inter when he was there um, called him the greatest striker in history retired in 2011 and the football world's a poorer place for it McDonald's isn't I'm only joking mine has to be uh, Lionel Messi and I urge anyone that hasn't taken the opportunity to go and see Barcelona with Messi in it live go seeing him live is captivating and makes even the biggest sports mm. cynics just stop and have their breath taken away. And this is the thing, again, I like Didier Drogba, bringing out the goals on the biggest occasions, just as he did in the last Classico in 2011. He let, literally let whole of the um, Real Madrid defence flailing and scored, and I saw it live. Amazing. And that's something that he did get criticised for at one point. A lot of journalists, um, fairly early on in his career, when he was doing so well, said... Actually, he's not producing it on the big occasions. Let's see how he does in a Champions League final or let's see how he does mm. in and out in the El Clasicos that come up. And he went and he proved all of those people wrong when the El Clasico that's just happened this week, he mm. was integral to, to that performance. Another point that you were saying, which is a point I want to bring in, anyone just going, oh, Messi, I'm so bored of hearing about how great he is. I got a real insight into how much and why he hasn't won. The other argument is he hasn't won a World Cup. Guess, guess he won the best Argentina player of the year, not Lionel Messi. Mm. He's on a battle to gain love and recognition in that country. He had to go away because there were no clubs that would fund the treatment he had. He had this massive battle. He needed growth hormones. And only because of his aunt and uncle happening to know someone at Barcelona that he went there. But as such a young child, sacrificed leaving his family. It was really difficult for him. We forget this story. The sad thing is he's gone... There's no appreciation back in Argentina that he left because that's the only place he went. He doesn't play his football in Argentina so he's not appreciated in the same way whereas Tevez the band they call Colito because he grew up in one of the most poverty stricken areas there was seen as a real hero a real one among the the poor who had come from a rags to riches story and it and Messi was battling to be really included in the Copa America team Mm. when I was out there in 2011 but now the tide is changing now he is they're building the team around him he's back playing with Aguero who he had so much time fun with the with the youth team and winning the Olympic medal with him which meant so much that I think this really is the coming of Messi Mm. and 
you know, we'd love it. I'd love England to win. I'd love Brazil to win if England don't in their home ground. But Lionel Messi, he will win a World Cup. Go and see him now when you can. I am going to go abroad and I'm going to go for a man off the pitch who is pretty much disliked by most people, I think. Um, it was a real toss-up for me because Del Piero was a close one. It was a close call. I was um, I was on the br- brink of going for him. But instead, I've opted purely because it's my favourite and that's why I'm, I'm bringing him up. Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Mm. Um, and I tell you why. I know that he is a very cocky man. <laughs> and some of the statements he comes out with, you know, World Cup without Zlatan isn't worth watching. He knows that he's a very cocky man. <laughs> yeah, he knows that. Um, and I would say that's his only downfall, actually, is World Cups. And probably a little bit similar to Messi in that he hasn't won anything major with, with his country yet. But you look back through all of the goals that Zlatan Ibrahimovic has scored, some of them back heels into the back of the net, the turns that he manages to produce. He, he leaps in the air like a fish out of water. It's just unreal watching him. It's audacious. You, as I'm watching clips of him scoring goals, I'm like, how audacious? How is he even trying that? That's his personality. And he backs it up. So all this big bravado and this vanity... That's all fine in my book if you back it up and you score the goals in the manner in which he does. And he does. And I love watching him and I pay money to watch him. We are very fortunate that we all do jobs where we go to get to see football for free. But I would pay my hard-earned cash to go and see Slatan. His ego is half his gift, actually. If you took 10 footballers, 10 you know, fairly successful Premier League footballers, everyone's equally as skillful. But it's what happens up there, up in their heads... That, yeah, don't point to your head on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what happens in their heads that actually uh, decides how good a player they are, I think. You, you know, it's the final 30%, 50% even. And another thing about a great striker, which he actually does possess as well, a good strike partnership. How did he rise to fame? He rose to fame in Syria and he scored bundles of goals when he was in an, a partnership with David Trezeguet. So... It, it was that sort of partnership that brought him to everybody's um, attention. Won eight consecutive league titles in Italy and at PSG, open top bus. I'm sure it was being banded around. I'm sure he was telling everyone he'd broken the club record for goals for PSG. Um, anyway, we need to stop there because we're really overrunning. So uh, here is Sean Thorne with Twitter Topic of the Week. And for this week, we're talking seeing red. Yes, those players that get dismissed. Naughty boys. Twitter Topic of the Week. And it's all about seeing red this week as Sergio Ramos picks up his 19th red card. And Casey Stoney, she's been left bemused, she tweeted, how on earth do you get sent off 19 times? Surely after 10, you'd start to learn. So we've asked you guys to nominate some players who love an early dismissal. And surprise, surprise, first name on the list here is Lee Catamol from Fergie's Fledgling, who's also gone for Joey Barton, Roy Keane and Vinnie Jones. He's also highlighted Kevin Moran's FA Cup red as a biggie. First bloke to be sent off in an FA Cup final as well. Absolutely nonsense challenge that was as well. Go look it up on YouTube. Uh, love this one from Claire Fraz. She's gone from Martin Skirtle, uh, judo champion in the penalty box, human rucksack. Human rucksack is a great way to describe him. Rihanna Evans has gone for Nemanja Vidic, every Liverpool fan's favourite entry on the team sheet. Damien Allmark, Plymouth fan, he's gone for Simon Walton. Uh, thankfully, not their problem anymore, but he noticed that he got sent off for Hartlepool last week. Hashtag nutjob. Scott Cowlin's gone for Robbie Savage. Tom S has gone for Michael Brown, currently of Leeds, but he's been a serial offender throughout his career. He's been sent off for five of his clubs. And poor Marco O'Neill, 
he said, well, most of the ones that I was thinking of have already been said, i.e. Catamol, Joey Barton and Roy Keane. You've got to be quick out of the blocks with Twitter topic of the week, Mike. You've got to be straight in. No mucking about. Cheers, though, to everyone who's got involved this week. I'm Sean Fawn and I will hand you back to the girls. Thank you very much, Sean. I've seen that before is topic number two. Uh, Wayne Rooney scored that 55-yard screamer. We described it at the beginning of the podcast. So what I want you to do, because David Beckham was watching that one and he'd scored a very similar goal against Wimbledon, I want us to pick two different goal scorers who scored very similar goals um, along that sort of vein. So we'll start again with Kate. Thank you very much. One of my favourite goals of all time is... The Champions League final for its significance in 2002. Zinedine Zidane. It was basically Zinedine Zidane against Bayer Leverkusen. Forget about Real Madrid. It was a performance above all else for him. Roberto Carlos uh, loops what was pretty much a hopeful punt, really, into the penalty area for Real Madrid. Um, It balloons into the night sky and just drops out of nowhere. Who was on the end of it? Zinedine Zidane, 18 yards out, watching and waiting, adjusts his body... And in one sort of smooth movement, almost pirouettes, it is is almost balletic, uh, catches it for a full-on volley with his left foot, which is his weak foot, by the way. It flies past the Bayer Leverkusen goalkeeper, uh, amusingly called Butt. (laughs) He's not not the butt of any jokes, it's okay. Um, And that... Just that one. Yeah, just just that bad one. Um, (laughs) It was uh, really... Just a pure Zidane moment, a pure moment of genius, even more so than the than the 1998 World Cup final, I have to say, because this was him being in control of everything around him. And you know when you see really good goals and you think, did they mean to score that? I'm just thinking earlier on in the season, Kasami's goal, Wilshire's goal, and we've been treated to a few really, really good ones this season. Um he was kind of Bruce Lee-like and where there was chaos all around him and defenders, there was nothing else that was going to happen apart from him getting on the back of that ball and uh, thundering in a tremendous volley. And it was also really, I guess, the high point of the Galactico project, which they're sort of trying to recreate now, aren't they? A similar goal. Well, of course, finding a player making that exquisite turn and trying to shoot one with his bad foot, uh, I couldn't do that. But I did find a turn and a fantastic volley from Thierry Henry, September 2000, um, he, um, well, it is practically identical, um, but Henri takes a little touch before and he kind of chips the ball slightly to his left foot. It was a game which finished 1-0 to Arsenal and Thierry Henry uh, was responsible for that result. So, yeah, two terrific goals. And we will try and get YouTube clips or something for reference as well, folks. Oh, I've got YouTube clips. Um, in fact, whilst you were talking, myself and Carrie, we've got our notes and it's a game of snap. We've got exactly the same one. Um, So I'm going to start this story. And Carrie, you're going to finish it, aren't you? Mm -hmm. You've got a a great story as well to do with this, I think. So um, we've chosen the same. We've chosen Maradona versus England. I told you that England was a theme. Goal scored against England is a theme and I don't like it, but I'm having to do this. Uh, 1986, the World Cup. Um, For anyone who has not yet seen this goal, how could you not have possibly seen this? I am going to put a YouTube clip up which compares it like for like with the Messi goal against Hatafe when he was playing for Barcelona in the Copa del Rey 2007. Um, There is a YouTube video that pretty much parallels the goals and they are more or less identical. The only difference being that Messi starts out 
higher up on the wing, doesn't he? And so he has to come in from further out, um, whereas Maradona's sort of more in a midfield position when he starts his run. But it's taking on players, it's beating defenders, it's running about 50, 55 yards, and it's taking on the keeper, rounding the keeper and finishing off with a goal. Both both of them are exquisite and you can't believe to have seen one. You know, if you were there for the Maradona goal, you'd think I'm never going to see anything like that again in my lifetime. It was being talked about as goal of the century, probably the greatest goal of all time there will ever be. But Messi is, is pretty much identical. Well, I personally loved it because everyone was always saying about, about Messi is never as good as Maradona. Mainly he's got to achieve it on an international level, which he will for Argentina, I assure you. Um, but that was, I mean, when the discussion point is always, is he as good as Maradona? Is he as good? And then he goes and pulls out that goal. Anyway, I sat in an edit suite with a double screen and actually for our sports programme tried to put mm. it together and we just couldn't believe how ridiculously similar it was in terms of speeding things up and slowing it down. You barely had to change a frame. Remarkable. So imagine my delight when I get the opportunity to sit down and have a nice interview with Lionel Messi. <laughs> so we dig out the thing, we get the rights cleared because you can't always show these things again and again, pay a fast fortune to be able to show it on our news outlets and our sports outlets worldwide because um, you have to clear all these rights. And I sit down with Lionel Messi, who we know is not is not the ego. He's not like uh, Zlatan or, <laughs> or Cristiano Ronaldo, who use who believe self doubt is their kryptonite. Um, that he really, really is the most humble man. But God, I could have picked up that little flea and shaken him because mm. I asked him to talk about the game, and he said, "Oh well, um, yes. First of all, I went past." one midfielder and then a defender and then a defender and then another and it really was and then I just rounded the goalkeeper <laughs> and I, <laughs> I just looked at him and said Leo come on, you must have realised how special so well no when, when my when my players came and celebrated me I thought yeah no maybe that was quite a good goal and I was like okay then in retrospect when people compared it to the Maradona goal and he's so humble and I think he's so aware that he doesn't want to be seen as the ego and he's like okay yes yeah. so when it was compared to the Maradona goal of course that's a real honour and a real privilege um, but he just would not be effusive so as much as I love that goal Lionel Messi you did not give me the startling poem Poetic, beautiful voiceover that I wanted to your moves. I just rounded this player and another. <laughs> Hi, I'm Phil Thompson and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Uh, we'll go on to our topic three then, ladies. Um, this one, we're moving away from strikers. We're going to defending people, not defence, just defending. So inspiring this has been Shane Long's wife, <laughs> who lay into West Brom fans, who lay into her husband uh, for trying to get a penalty, didn't he, for, for Hull, his new team, after playing for West Brom. Um, she retaliated, by the way, by saying... Maybe you should uh, message Jeremy Peace and ask him why he sold my husband yeah. to a relegation rival. I can't, I, I can't understand that. Why? I mean, he's really shining at Hull, as are many other players who uh, hot-footed it over there in the January transfer window and at the beginning of the season as well. Um, silly move by West Brom. I know, I know. So what we're doing is, how very dare you? How very dare you? Um, I'm going to start this off because... Um, I, just because I feel like it. I don't often go first, do I? Um, I've got a clip as well that I can show of this. Um, it's really good fun to watch. And whoever came up with this idea as a fan, as a protest, a form of protest, um, they deserve something for it because it's, it's really funny. Um, in La Liga, we of course know that Barcelona and Real Madrid dominate everything. So this group of fans, Sevilla fans, stood up 
and came to the aid of every other football team in La Liga to say, you know what? There are other teams in La Liga other than Barcelona and Real Madrid, and we're fed up of this. So, Sevilla fans, they threw thousands, I'm talking thousands, of tennis balls onto the pitch to stick up for their team and make a stance. And it was all because a TV channel in Spain decided to delay the Sevilla versus Levante match in order to broadcast post-match press conferences from Mourinho and Guardiola after the Real Madrid versus Barcelona game. So their game had been delayed. for a press conference. Yes. Can you imagine that happening here? Um, So the fans of FC Seville, they protested and they rallied together. So just before kickoff, they throw thousands and thousands. This video is funny, by the way, of these tennis balls onto the pitch. You can just see everyone running on, trying to clear them off. It takes ages. The game eventually finished at something like half past midnight (laughs) under the floodlights. (laughs) You want to get sort of uh, Rafa, don't you, in there to knock a few over the goal or something? I know. So I will I will actually give you that video so that you can have a look at that. And my other one is Premier League footballers leaping to the defence and sticking up for Adnan Yanazai after he went on a date. He took an 18-year-old girl to Nando's. Yes, I'm talking about the chicken chain. Um, she wasn't very impressed by this and sold her story to a national newspaper. Um, she said that a player who earned £30,000 a week at Old Trafford surely could have taken her to a better place than a chicken restaurant, a budget chicken restaurant for dinner. And apparently she paid for parking as well. (laughs) Um, But after the story was published, quite a few footballers, I'm just going to highlight a few of them, came to Yanazai's defence. Crystal Palace winger Jason Punchen, he tweeted, he wrote on Instagram, Yanazai, keeping it real, got time for this guy. What makes these people think he has to spend big because he's got it? Um, Also, Tottenham Hotspur's Andros Townsend, um, he posted a message on Twitter saying, Nando, was too classy for her I would have bought a Freddo and sent her packing (laughs) (laughs) and then Norwich City midfielder Bradley Johnson also decided to leap to his friend's defence sums up what type of girl she is to go to the papers and sell a story she deserves a Dixie 99p chicken and chips for that gold digger (laughs) Um, I do think that Andros Townsend's retort was the best, wasn't it? Yeah. But yes, all these players coming to, to his defence and um, I really like that story. So that was the one that I chose. What have you ladies got? We'll go with Carrie first. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look over to Australia and Harry Kuehl, and I'm a, I'm a Leeds United fan, so I should love him, but he stood up and he, for, for his Melbourne team and he executed probably one of the worst penalties you'll ever see. Have a look at it on YouTube and have a listen to the commentary. Simon Hill, um, a Brit uh, doing his work out there very well indeed for the main broadcaster of the, their A-League and the Premier League here. Um, just basically aghast at the penalty, said it was awful, said it's the worst he's seen. His co-commentator said, yeah, we might need to look back at that to believe just how bad it was. Harry Kuehl's wife not happy at all, calling the commentators douchebags. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm leaping now to their defence because then they got a whole ream of abuse and had to look at themselves and see if that was fair comment. Have a look back, see what you think. But as commentators, if something is truly atrocious, I'm afraid I know it's your husband, but... Yes, you have to say so. Uh, Kate? Now, here is the defence of a defence, possibly with another defence thrown in. Confused. It got me to start off with, but uh, listen to this. In fact, this is one for you, Carrie, um, because on Be In Sport... 
Um, David Platt, who's uh, been working for UNO since, he'd, uh, he, since uh, he left City, um, was doing a bit of punditry after the Man United-Liverpool game a couple of Sundays ago. And um, Daniel Sturridge criticised in that game for making the most of a challenge by Vidic. Um, and uh, he was called up on it by Richard Keyes and said, well, he made a bit of a meal of it, really. And Brendan Rodgers, after the game, defended his striker as managers tend to do and actually David Platt afterwards said there was nothing wrong with Brendan Rodgers defending his player so you've got Brendan Rodgers defending Daniel Sturridge you've then got David Platt defending Brendan Rodgers defending Daniel Sturridge and you can see where I mean it's it's a whole chain of defence this isn't it in fact Platt went on to admit that he'd lied several times during post-match interviews in his city days um, and just said because footballers are quite sensitive these days and because um, things in the press can, can blow up it all gets a bit awkward sometimes um, and it's important to the players bless them um, to have someone in authority out and out saying I support my players there's no room for criticism of them at all it sounds like Harry Kill should be uh, linking up with David Platt shouldn't it he obviously needs him um, quick one here from uh, Sam Allardyce I think he came out and said this um, last year, actually. And um, Big Sam fed up of people criticising footballers um, uh, for the way that they get pretty physical sometimes. Uh, Big Sam said, nobody seems to highlight the fact that rugby players stamp on each other's heads, gouge each other's eyes, uh, and that seems to be acceptable. He said that he thought a lot of the criticism of, of footballers is motivated by jealousy and large sums of money in the game. Uh, but that it, it does not excuse the over-the-top reactions in some quarters so there you go um any more for any more do you have any more oh there was one more um a bit of a strange one how much twitter has now given us a whole new level of being able to engage with footballers they used to talk to journalists sadly that relationship has gone away Mm. um but now there's a new way of of, um, the players voice their opinions on twitter and also make us rethink something and my mind was cast back to Romelu Lukaku when he was at Chelsea, stepping up for that penalty in the Super Cup against Bayern Munich, absolutely messing it up. And pretty much the cards were on the table and, and off he was shipped. But um, while everyone sort of was thinking what a bad penalty it was, the hug from David Lewis, the subsequent tweet from David Lewis, in which he basically says, chin up, you'll be fine, got a whole edge of sympathy from the nation. And uh, I think it makes you realise again that they are human beings, that they are human and I think that's the great thing about Twitter is you're getting more of a truth and a reality about how these players feel and and it's you know obviously Romelu Lukaku has never recovered or gone on to have a fantastic career with Everton (laughs) (laughs) no not at all has he Um, I think that's pretty much winding things up for us we're going to quickly go over for a Serie A update here is Mina it's time for the Serie A Roundup again, and where better to start than at the top? Whilst Juventus winning has become a foregone conclusion, it seems they're still shocked at how much certain teams, fans, and entire cities will do to intimidate them into surrendering some points. Their bus was pelted with objects as it drove down the streets of Sicily to pay bottom place Catania, and their opponents nearly managed something special. It wasn't much of a football game, but it was certainly a battle. Yellow cards flying around and both coaches sent off, Carlitos Tevez scored the only goal of the game to practically secure the title. Meanwhile, over in the south of Italy, Napoli lost to Fiorentina in a match that pitched third against fourth. Whilst Rafa Benitez's side played with only 10 men for over 50 minutes, it's clear they need to bolster the squad. Raul Albiol needs a better partner in defence, whilst central midfielders are simply not contributing enough to the team.
But if you consider that bad, spare a thought for poor Milan. Clarence Seedorf has only just arrived and there's strong rumours he will be sacked. Whilst he denies any problems, a certain few sources inside the club have hinted that the players are just not happy. Seen as condescending and arrogant, it seems Seedorf just doesn't understand those who aren't as talented as he once was. That's all for now. Ciao. Thank you very much, Mina. And that really is it. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Carrie, this week. It's been a blast. Thank you for having me. Yes, we'd love to get you back again. And uh, Kate Ball say, happy moving. <laughs> I've been moving, everyone. I've got dusty jeans and I've got total moving exhaustion. Never again. One of the most stressful things you can ever do, move house. I know. I shall not be moving my bum off the sofa for the whole of next week once the unpacking's done. (laughs) We wish you well with that. Thanks very much for listening and come back for episode 32 next week. Bye for now. The Female Take on Football.